welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, your host, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master. I've brought you weekly insights now for almost three years. And wow, that's a lot of insights and best practices for product managers and innovators. And it's a lot to consume. So I thought, how could I make some of this information, you know, the more important insights easier for you to get? And what I created for you is a short guide with the top 10 insights from the first 100 plus interviews. The guide summarizes 10 of the most important tools, techniques, and advice from the first 100 plus interviews. And you'll want this guide. And I've made it easy to get. Just go to theeverydayinnovator.com and you can download it at the top of the page. Check it out. You'll be glad that you did. Product management is about creating value for customers. You've heard me say that many times. It's about value for customers. And we do that through the capabilities that we put in a product or a service. And that extends beyond the actual features and it encompasses tangible as well as intangible dimensions of value. Typically, when creating a new product, we tend to start off with a core set of features. Early on, we might think of this as a minimum viable product, but I prefer the term actually for an MVP as the minimum valuable product, a product that provides an acceptable amount of value that catches the customer's attention. And then over time, we can add more capabilities to create more value, but that is still not what we're striving for. We need to create a whole product, adding other elements to the customer experience that solves a complete problem and in the process creates a great experience throughout the customer's interactions with the product. The best person I know to learn about creating an exceptional customer experience is Joseph Michelli. He's an internationally sought-after customer experience consultant who transfers his knowledge about exceptional business practices in ways that develop joyful and productive workplaces with a focus on the customer. Your hair has talked about that a little bit. His insights encourage leaders and frontline workers to grow and invest passionately in all aspects of their life. And he is known by his many books examining organizations that create exceptional customer experiences. Names like Mercedes-Benz, Starbucks, Zappos, Ritz-Carlton, as well as others. You'll find a summary of our discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 147. The audio occasionally dropped out during our interview but it's nothing that gets in the way of the really great insights that Joseph shares with us. Enjoy the interview. Joseph, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. It's my pleasure. Glad to be here. I'm glad to be talking with you because you have a long and impressive history helping impressive organizations, organizations that are kind of distinctive in the mind of consumers that stand out for doing things exceptionally well. And some of those organizations you've written a good number of books about. Can you just run through that history with us a little bit about organizations that you have shared your analysis with in books? Yeah, I'm not quite sure how I got this lucky, but you know, I started my career early on working for a little fish market in Seattle, Washington, uh, and the owner of that market and I ended up writing a book about his place. It's called the Pike Place Fish Market. Mm-hmm throwing fish and they had a bunch of books and and some great training videos built about them. From there, I went on and did a book about Starbucks just down the road a piece from that first Pike Place Fish Market in Seattle. Just a little coffee shop. Yeah, just a little <laughs> coffee shop, literally, about two blocks away. And that's all there was, was one of them. And Howard Schultz had a vision of getting to Portland, Oregon, and he did it. 
Um, the, beyond that, we went over and did some work for Ritz Carlton hotel company in terms of a book about them. And then Zappos and another book about Starbucks somewhere in there and book about LA health systems. And, um, I think I'm only leaving out if I'm, if I haven't forgotten one of my, my children here, uh, I think I'm leaving out uh, Mercedes Benz, which was my last book. Most recent. Yeah. And I bet they feel like children, right? All, All a lot of work to investigate what makes that organization so great. Yeah, and something like Mercedes-Benz, you know, I worked with them for four years in addition to writing the book. So, you know, as a consultant in dealing with the in, inner workings of these brands, you get to see the challenges that folks have each and every day to try to affect greatness. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to greatness, what are some of those characteristics that you found to be common between these organizations? Well, you know, I have a pretty narrow focus here. So I focus on the customer experience and leading organizations that deliver fabulous customer experiences. So the commonalities tend to be that they create fairly awesome employee experiences because they do view the uh, employees as a part of the customer journey and they are an internal customer to the experience. So leaders do a very good job, I think, of committing to that. Clearly, from a customer's perspective, there's you know just great competencies involved in being a, a world-class customer-centric brand. They start with leadership vision for how you can use customer experiences strategically. It gets into the mechanics of listening to customers effectively. Uh It's how you infuse that messaging into your culture. There are elements of how do you measure for the effectiveness of your customer-centric initiatives, and and then how do you leverage the voice of the customer into your everyday innovation to provide the solutions that are going to resonate and build loyalty and advocacy on behalf of the customer base. So there's a lot there. Maybe I should also ask you, what is a customer experience? You know, what are the kinds of we, we should, things that we should think of? I remember one of the first customer experiences that stood out to me so well was my first iPod I purchased. Because that customer experience started, I ordered it online, so at least there wasn't anything. You know, there weren't any hiccups there. That all worked well. But when I actually got the box, it was distinctive. It was different. It was like opening a Christmas present and this thing that was so beautifully made just as the box, Right. And that was an element of customer experience. I went, wow, th- th- this is distinctive. Help us know what a customer experience is like. Steve Jobs is a good one to study <laughs> from perspective. Long before you opened that box, Steve Jobs was talking about it and creating an experience of anticipation mm-hmm. of that product. You know, I think he called it 10,000 songs in your pocket. Right. Uh, as opposed to a hard drive where you'd have to pay, you know, 99 cents a song or something, whatever the... Uh, early iterations of Apple's attempts to, to kind of keep us captive there. But I, I can honestly tell you from, from my view, it is every interaction point that a brand has with a consumer. So it can be in the marketing space. It could be at the arrival touch point. It can be, you know, the packaging, all of that, the sleekness of the, uh, the design of the product. So clearly in the product space, and there's a whole range of really critical touch points and there's a lot of teams now who spend time really mapping the customer journey and how they interface against those touch points. And for me, that's the work we do a lot of. It's really understanding that you can do a lot of things, but you really need to do the things. Mm-hmm. And some of that's in the process, some of that's in the design, some of that's in the execution, particularly at high value touch points. And just to kind of put a bow on your iPod, if you will. I mean, clearly the arrival experience, the packaging, the opening experience, the use in, of the opening is one of those things that Apple perfected in terms of an understanding uh, of experiential, uh, you know, moment of truth touch point. If you yeah, will. yeah, it is that moment of truth. And it definitely left an impression on me. There, there's a side story, you know, your, your career 
you have some background in talk radio, and I had the pleasure of listening to you every day. And I'm bringing this up because from a customer experience perspective, you are part of my afternoon routine. And I enjoyed listening to you on the radio. This was KVOR in Colorado Springs. The, what's their slogan? Uh, depend on it. The Depend on it news station, right? And I distinctly remember the day that you shared that you were leaving the talk show and going to do something else. And you're kind of cagey on the something else. And at the time, I knew you had the, the fish market book out. And I think maybe Starbucks was coming out. But <clears throat> you're cagey on what it was going to be. And I thought... I felt this moment of somewhat excitement for you because I knew you were going to do something exciting, but also a little bit of a loss because you were part of my afternoon routine, right? You had somehow managed to create just through the art of radio, a customer experience that I really enjoyed to be a part of. That's most common. And I think that everything we do, I mean, yeah. certainly for me, I, I viewed my radio show as a customer experience. I, you know, th there were times that I might have wanted to do something different with a topic, but I, I would have every day. What are their wants, needs, and desires? And what is the thing that's going to maybe make their drive home a little bit more enjoyable? And for those who didn't listen, we mm -hmm. would often on Friday do a really light-sided Friday and we do riddles and we had kids and families. And I can tell you that was probably the kind of feedback. I still get people who write me and say, I wish you were on just to do the riddles on Friday. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, sometimes you you try to understand who your audience is, what their wants, states, and needs are. And mm -hmm. for us, we lived and died by ratings and we were blessed to have some, some solid ratings that whole time. And and I think whatever your metric is, you have to be constantly listening, constantly innovating, revising, and sometimes doing it a way other than would be intrinsically the way you would think to do it, because it's really what customers want. Yeah, in a way that actually connects with customers and makes the experience special for them and different. Good. So when it comes to the customer experience that product managers are kind of involved in, uh, certainly with the development of the product itself, we have a lot of say in that. So product managers are leading the development and whatever the touch points are with the customer just through the product. Sometimes we get more involved in other aspects like packaging you know, and marketing messages that become more marketing communications and maybe training the people involved like salespeople and the like. So we have the opportunity to be more involved in customer experience for sure. I would love some tips, some tangibles on how we can be thinking more about our role as product managers in terms of the customer experience, maybe beyond just the you know the, the product that we're so we're, we're so entrenched in often. So I have a friend of mine who is a product manager, and we have this running kind of argument. I say you really should change your title. You know, you should be a customer perception manager. Mm. Uh, the is the vehicle by which you shape customer uh, perceptions, and uh, he's vehemently opposed to that that idea. Um, but but I do think there there's something to be said there. You know, for me, uh, everything. You know, it's not me who says. I mean, Drucker a long time ago, mm -hmm. Peter Drucker said, "We're not in business to create a profit. We're in business to create a customer, and it's through customers that all things come." Right. I mean, the customer is the epigenesis for product creation. And I think everything we do to shepherd the product to the hands of the customer and into the heart of the customer for loyalty purposes and repurchase opportunities, to me, that is a customer perception journey. So hmm. um, product, product innovation or managing products is a lot about figuring out how do we position all aspects of this complex thing uh, that we're stewarding so that it meets with the needs and expectations of customers. So I, I do think one of the, the shifts for me always is um, a product strategy alone today isn't going to work. You can have 
incredibly great products and people are emulating products so quickly today in a global economy. So figuring out strategically how to continue to create well-engineered products that are resonant to the needs of customers, but also thinking about how do we lay on top of that uh, the delivery system, the processes, um, all of the other touch points beyond the actual and attributes of the product itself to to really build um, a connection to our customers. So they're waiting for the next thing mm-hmm. uh, in addition to the thing they just unwrapped. Right. In the organizations you've worked with, who do you find is more driving that charge about customer experience and enhancing those touch points so that product managers know where they can kind of you know align themselves with? Well, I mean, it should come from the C-suite, really. To be honest with you, I've written a, a manifesto to uh, CEOs that says it's your job and you know, you make it really hard on companies when it's not you or, you know, when you've got a director of customer experience who somehow has been anointed to thing for the enterprise. You know, ultimately, you need to have some people in operations who are aligned with people in product, who are aligned with people in marketing. You've got to have kind of a little coalition of people who understand it's not marketing's job, it's not HR's job. This is everyone's job. We're all customer managers, and some of us do it through product, some of it do process, some of it mm-hmm. do it by impact people, but we're all in the same business of, of really trying to shape the perceptions of customers at the end of the day, um, because there's so many products out there um, and so many competitors. So why yours? Right. In some organizations, unfortunately, too often, product gets kind of thrown over a virtual wall, right? There, there's this notion that one team builds it and then maybe gets thrown to marketing and they carry it to the market and deal with it. And, and we seem to lose out on a lot of not only efficiencies there, but just being more effective. The you know we have these new, not new, but tools that are getting more used, like design thinking, where product managers are getting much more involved in the upfront work of understanding what the customer's problem is in their words, and knowing what you know what words they use to describe a problem really makes a difference when we go then to the other end and we're we're marketing a product and trying to get it into people. And you know, maybe they would connect with those words that we heard originally at the very beginning about how they describe their problem. The, the, this whole thread from you know the initial problem out to the customer experience. I know you're involved primarily in the customer experience aspect of this, but you know that, that's kind of an end-to-end issue. And I don't know if you have an example or things you've pulled from where you've done like maybe some design thinking that early user-centered kind of work to understand the customer's problem and then help that influence the customer experience well I'm a, I'm a huge fan of design thinking agile and scrumming and i mean we you know i gotta tell you the people that i work with increasingly today they just understand this i mean maybe mm-hmm. it's you know there's a self-selection process going on get called into organizations that are already on this path but, right you know yeah. it's not unusual for me to work with a ux team and to kind of get close to the customers particularly if we've well defined what our customer segmentation is then we can start getting groups of customers in front of us we can start having conversations with customers about their needs state uh, we can do you know all kinds of ethnographic research on customers on how they use things we can do qualitative analysis and focus groups we can you know we can do all kinds of quant force choice types of situations and at the end of it all you end you, i think you really really do come away with this appreciation that, you know, that it, it all has to begin with listening to that customer. And, and you can listen on both quant and qualitative ways. But if you don't listen and you design in advance um, and then just wait for them to come, it's it is are gone, I think, where you could require customers to go through bad time and still take your product. Um, someone else will 
have listened better and better designed it and better stewarded its manufacturing and Mm -hmm. better handled the way in which it was distributed based on the need state of the customer. And so, yeah, I think it's everything from ideation, solution, manufacturing, distribution, marketing, it all dovetails in, um, in terms of what is, what's the customer looking for? What's salient to the customer? Yeah. And in that regard, the product managers can play a big role if we're involved in that early kind of the, the fuzzy front end, it's often called where, where we're trying to identify what the real problems are and how the customer thinks about it. And that research that you shared, you know, like doing ethnographic or quantitative, qualitative content analysis, figuring out what the right levers are to move to respond to the customer's problem. That gives us insights. I love when that happens. Unfortunately, sometimes I think that product, and I'm going to be really candid here, some of the product managers I've been involved with are so in love with dealing with products and the creation of products that sometimes they're not as comfortable in this of the fuzzy, yucky stuff of humans that mm-hmm. seem to not know what they want and can't even always say what they want, where you have to kind of read the tea leaves uh, in what they're talking about. So, you know, sometimes that's hard for them. It's just as equally hard for sometimes marketers to even understand why we make products because they think they can all do things on the basis of emotion. And, you know, you could sell anything if you just spin it. So, I mean, I think there is kind of natural proclivities that people have based on mm-hmm. what career paths they choose. And it's just people to be more comfortable with living in each other's space. And a lot of it is that appreciation for just other people have different perspectives. And I appreciate the candidates with product managers and our focus at times tends to be on the product. You know, my, my background is engineering. Listeners have heard me say this before that as an engineer, it's really easy for me to get enamored with the solution. It's like, oh, wow, we found this interesting problem. We have a really interesting, elegant solution I'm proud of. And lose track of, you know, the solution isn't actually the end game. The end game is, are we solving a problem for the customer in a way that creates value for them that they actually care about? Well, if you stay with your iPod example, yeah. you know, and, and you sit with Steve Jobs for a second, there's a great video that I'd encourage people to just look up. It's Steve Jobs defending himself. It's, it's pretty easily found. Uh, but there's a product developer who had apparently developed, you know, was working on uh, some software platform. And I'm, I'm sure that people who are more into software engineering know much more about what I'm talking about. But it was su- supposedly a superior product from the standpoint of elegance of engineering. But Jobs just came back in defense of why he shut down that project and went with a, maybe an inferior design is that it was over-engineered and that it didn't mm. create customer value. And so his defense in a pretty stylized way for Jobs, let me tell you, he, <laughs> uh, he really was fairly elegant in the way he supported the engineering genius of the solution, but suggested there was no, because there wasn't enough value derived to the customer for all that extra stuff. So, I mean, I think, but, but again, on the other side, I mean, you know, it's not just an issue of project managers or product managers, rather, it's oftentimes a a function to the other side, not appreciating the elegance of the solution and only thinking they need to figure out how way to position product or message product. So when you start getting mm-hmm. marketing, advertising, uh, those folks have to spend some time really understanding the amount of genius and uh, creation. Uh, I, I have seen that video. I try to think of the name of the product. Uh, Docu something comes to mind, but um, I thought he was very – the Jobs was very reserved in his delivery of, of the criticism and uh, and positioned it well. And Apple, with that, they have done a nice job of – they remove features at times from products 
simply because they're adding clutter and they're not really adding value and they're not getting used. And most organizations don't do that. And and sometimes we get stuck as product managers just thinking in terms of what's the next feature we can add, maybe because it will add value, or maybe it really is just something that we think would be interesting. But we haven't actually validated that with the customer. What is that going to enhance the customer experience or not? And, and I think that's the key. I mean, of everything we're talking about today is that validation. It's it's the inquiry and it's the validation. And I think uh, taking the time to do that makes for a lot less rework or products mm. that miss the mark in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, we have a lot of influence that as product managers. And from the discussion here, it sounds like a lot of that can just be a difference in thinking, thinking more of ourselves in the shoes of the customers and actually trying to figure out what the customers want. And as you alluded to in the beginning, a lot of good research tools we have to help us do that, to actually understand what our customers need out of a product and need for value. And, you know, I think if you look at entrepreneurship, a lot of the literature on entrepreneurship is really, you know, because the notion is to get in your customer's shoes, you have to take off your own. Well, a lot of, I think, entrepreneurs were in the customer's shoes and decided mm-hmm. they were tired waiting for someone else to fix it. So they came up with a solution for themselves, which then was scalable. Yeah. And that works one time, right? That's how a lot of startups get started. But exactly. we, we and then do- they have to hire you guys to come in and actually <laughs> do their to consistently sustain. So someone to help. So nothing wrong with that. Another question for you is product managers that are moving into more leadership roles. And certainly something I promote is that product managers are uniquely qualified to take on leadership roles to help the organization overall. Because we work so cross-functionally, we have a lot of insights that others just simply don't have about the organization. What advice would you give or, or tips might you give for someone that is trying to move into that leadership role that wants to you know, be involved in creating a better organization so they can create a better customer experience uh, for their customers and not just kind of you know be status quo and be like everyone else? What would that product manager going into leadership be thinking about or maybe be doing to help them with that? So my experience, again, product managers who turn into great leaders says, so generally speaking, the tool set that product managers have at their disposal is so phenomenal. I mean, they are engineers by design thinking they do all that stuff. And to me, now you're designing and engineering organizational effectiveness. Right. So, but the problem is instead of raw materials that are probably pretty consistent when you're trying to manufacture them, people are like the most unpredictable raw material you can ever deal with. So I think it does take a lot of patience to realize. Realize that as you impose processes, uh, you know, on work teams and attempt to, you know, effectively move them in a direction of a of a predictable outcome, that it is a very patient journey. And I think that you have to realize that it's more about continuing to focus on the intention of variations, but still can come out with the same outcome that you desire. So, for me, a lot of work in leadership is this kind of sense of okay, what. What am I going to try to do to influence the the outcome that I want under such a wide range of inputs that I'm with on the people side? Um, and, and I really, you know, patience and, and constantly listening to them in the same way I would listen to consumer groups, um, you know, who are buying and purchasing products, very mm-hmm. much the same. It's just really thinking about how hard it is to uh, manufacture outcomes with people. 
Yeah, the, the raw materials are very different. And you know, as an engineer, I thought all the hard work in life was creating the elegant solution until you start working with other people a lot. And then you realize that's where the really challenging issues are uh, because we come in such a wide variety of, of, of perspectives on, on problems and how we deal with them. Pre- appreciate your insights on that. Part of that thinking seems, seems to be then is just taking this customer experience thinking that we want to emphasize and maybe turning that more into uh, employee experience thinking about, you know, how do my peers and colleagues, how are they impacted by changes we need to make to make a better org- organization? I also think there's just a couple of quick other elements. One is, mm-hmm. is communication skills and creating a vision that is a compelling one to have people join you. I think, you know, all the other elements, once you have the vision and, you know, are, are pretty much the same in terms of trying to design a uh, movement toward an outcome. But I do think that the ability to be an effective communicator um, to try to influence people's perspective after having listened to them and empathized with their state, I think it's really important to be able to to paint a picture um, and articulate the significant importance of that and keep that message constantly going in front of people. And after you've said it so many times, you think you're sick of talking about the vision. It's about the time that some people start seeing it. Right. Yeah. And get on board with and support it. And if there's not a compelling, enticing picture, a vision to move towards, why would anyone care? What's, what's it for me? I mean, what's the whiffum of, of that going toward that vision too? Yeah, very good points. And as listeners know, I love a good innovation or success quote and always ask guests to bring one. What did you bring for us and why did you choose that one? I'm, I'm afraid it's like so rudimentary to your, your folks. But, you know, I, I was when I was starting to read on these issues long ago, I, I think I came into Nicholas Webb's writing and I loved the innovation playbook and I loved his definition of innovation. So I use it all the time and uh, I particularly make distinctions between innovation and innovation. And so for me, innovation is that process of developing exceptional value through active listening. And, and I think there's exceptional value is the worthwhile innovation. And I think active listening, not passive listening, but very actively engaged questioning. Let me understand more tell me more kind of listening where do you use that or you know that those questions is where we uncover what what people truly value even when they can't articulate it easily uh, and once we find those value levels, it's it's really a process of developing that value it's not something that just happens in a you know a lightning bolt moment if only it was so easy, um, uh, that lightning bolt moment, uh, developing exceptional value through active listening. And active listening to me implies not just listening for what words are shared, but for what isn't shared and for emotions that are being expressed and maybe doing some things like observation and observing our customers and really getting a deeper insights about how people think about the problem they have. And I just want to highlight that other one word in there, too. This is the process of developing that exceptional value. So it is a process. Mm-hmm. It is not, you know, it really needs to be a disciplined uh, core competency. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a process that we can learn and we can apply and we can help our peers and organization get better at it, too. Thanks for sharing the Nicholas Webb quote there. Thank you. And I always also like to ask uh, people to share how we can learn more about the work you're doing. Obviously, you have a few books out on these exceptional organizations, good insights into what creates a a customer experience that stands out and is distinctive. How can people find out about this, this work that you do? 
So my uh, name is all you need. It's Joseph uh, and M-I-C-H-E-L-L-I. And I'm sure that you have all the links and things like that. So, yep. But yeah, Joseph Michelli, you go to my website, josephmichelli.com. You'll find everything linking back to the seven or so books that we've done and the, the types of work we do both consultatively and in terms of sharing insights on this from a keynote stage or in workshops. Excellent. Joseph, I appreciate your time and for the information with how we can create a better customer experience. Well, I am so honored to be here. It is a delight to finally get to see you on the other side of the radio, if you will. Thanks a lot, Joe. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. Find the summary of the discussion with Joseph at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 147. Also, don't forget to download the top 10 insights from the first 100 interviews. You'll find that at the home of this podcast, which is theeverydayinnovator.com. Thanks again. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.